and I became very Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Okay, welcome, welcome to, to the Longtime Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Ward Tannenberg has been in active ministry for 58 years, beginning as a young evangelist, serving as the denominational youth director, college public relations director, pastor in three churches, lecturer, adjunct professor, writer, novelist, and nonprofit organization executive director. Boy, that's quite that's quite a a resume you have there, Ward. He earned a BA well, in Bible. Yes. I think what it says is that the man can't hold a job. Oh. <laughs> well, spread over 58 years, that's not bad. Okay. He earned a BA in Bible at Northwest University, completed graduate studies at Western Evangelical Seminary, George Fox in Seattle Pacific University, and has earned PhD in theology from California Graduate School of Theology. He has trained in coach mentoring and is a graduate of the Seattle FBI Citizens Academy. Boy, you can write um, uh, some good suspense novels then, right? Uh, yeah, that's how. That's actually what got me into the Academy. It's, uh, it's kind of a special group of people, but an FBI agent that I used as a consultant asked me one day if I'd like to go to the Citizens Academy, and so that's how I got in. Cool. It was really good. Actually, it, it's, it allowed me to go back to the FBI headquarters and also uh, spend some time at Quantico. Cool. That's really cool. Uh, Ward, uh, the way you can get in touch with Ward, his website is wardtanneberg.com, and it's uh, all one word, W-A-R-D-T-A-N-N-E-B-E-R-G.com. And there you'll find all of his books and, and, and the things he's done. Or you can email him at ward at wardtanneberg.com. He speaks in churches, adult retreats, and ministry conferences, and meets with Christian business leaders, active and retired in his living room on Wednesday mornings, He's a widower with two married children, three grandchildren, four step-grandchildren, two great-grandsons. Uh, don't you love those great-grandchildren? They're so wonderful. And he enjoys quiet yeah, evenings, being with the family, good books and movies, sports, swimming, golf, travel, long walks with his dog, and he lives in Bellevue, Washington. Uh, the thing that really, really drew me toward was his uh the book that we just featured which was called Sacred Journey and this was this was his wife's memoirs uh you want to tell us a little about Dixie Yes Dixie and I met uh I was just a 17 year old college student traveling with a with a um, a quartet, and we were doing a concert in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I met this young lady that I fell in love with almost immediately. A year and a half later, we were married, and um, and then we came back out to the West Coast, and we've lived our whole lives here. 
Uh, Dixie, on Valentine's Day and a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and given three to six months to live without treatment. She decided to do the treatment and um, and so lived 18 months. So Sacred Journey is a book that is framed in that 18 months that deals with the whole uh, panoply of cancer and its treatments. Uh, it is also her life story. Uh, she began in a very dysfunctional home uh, with a, abuse and uh, uh, anger and all of the things that go along with that. And uh, she was a great overcomer. She became a she became a mentor to many many people. And when she passed on. Uh, this this young woman had now given 58 years of her life to me and to the ministry. Wow. Uh, difficult was it to write your own wife's memoirs? Yes, uh, that's a good question, and it was difficult. When we first talked about it, Dixie said, no, let's not do that. But then as we talked further and began to think about the implications of what it might mean to other men as well as women who are going through similar issues with cancer or who are caregivers uh, to someone who has cancer, she uh, ultimately agreed to allow me to, to do this. So. During the time, the 18 months when she was in um, in the uh, Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and the University of Washington, she uh, devoted herself to helping other people who were in cancer situations. And I took a lot of notes. Met we met over 200 medical people along the way and um, you know I took I took the notes and watched as uh, slowly in front of my eyes my my love was passing away that was very hard and in fact it uh, yeah it was it was one of those things you know everybody goes through the death experience with a loved one at some point in time but when it's your own and you're recording the experience, it became even more difficult, I think. Yeah. Yeah, my husband and But I it has married. it has proven to be a book that's been helpful to a lot of people. And um so I'm grateful for that and it and it keeps Dixie's story alive and she continues to be a teaching moment. She was we used to say she is a teaching moment. And every every part of her life seemed to be that to those who knew her. And so now in this memoir, she continues to be a teaching moment. Cool. That's really cool. I, my husband and I have been married 53 years, and um, I, I, can't imagine, I, can't, I can't imagine that, you know, we know the age we are now, that one or the other of us will be going you know, and leaving the other. And uh, 
that's a reality in your life. But when you when you both know the Lord, that gives a whole different dimension to uh, it does. To it does. We used to we used to laugh laughingly say, "Let's jump off a bridge together someday when that time comes," and because we we really didn't want to be left alone. And actually, we thought I would be the first one to go, but she was our surprise, and I miss her every day. Yeah, my husband has said, you know, maybe we'll die at the same time. And I said, boy, that would be really easy on the kids and grandkids and stuff, you know, uh, not uh, losing yeah. both at the same time. That's true. Uh, the thing that uh, interested me about the interview that we had on the blog is that you have helped so many people in grieving the loss of a significant other, you know, their, their uh, loved one. Uh, what do you recommend in helping someone who is grieving this kind of a loss? Well, it's a tough thing. I have, uh, I've, of course, as a pastor helped people through this uh, period of time, many times over, but I've learned a lot since it was my time to go through it. And uh, I've had a number of people who've read the book who then contacted me and say, said, I want to talk to you about what you've written. Or I had one person said, my husband refuses to read the book because he knows that I've got cancer and he doesn't want to deal with it. So I just said to her, well, tell him from me, get over himself, and read the book. And uh, it will be helpful to him as the time comes for you to go. But um, I think one of the things you say or some of the things you say to people who are grieving, you know, many of us feel awkward when we're trying to comfort somebody who has had a significant loss. We're We're really not sure what to say. But I would simply say one of the first things you do is acknowledge the situation. Um, You just simply say, I I heard that your husband or your wife died. Use the word died. Uh, Don't try try to soften it in any way. Just use that word because it's a real word to that person. And express your concern. Just say, I'm sorry to hear this has happened to you. Uh, but be genuine in your communication and don't hide your feelings. It's okay to say, I'm not sure what to say, but I want you to know that I care for you. And uh, offer your support. Tell me what I can do for you if there's anything at all. And uh, ask ask how your loved one feels. You know, the the emotions of grief can change rapidly, so don't assume that you know how the bereaved person feels on any given day. Ask that person, how is it going with you today? Um, and uh, I can tell you for sure, the it's like the ocean tide coming and going. That And even still now, it's been uh, soon be three years since my wife has been gone. And there are still moments in which I just, for no reason at all, just feel like sitting down and crying. And so I do. That's, um, that's normal. It is, that's normal. 
Yeah. It's, it's sometimes it's it's kind of embarrassing, especially if you're in a room full of guys, and, and then all at once you choke up and and uh, and you you can't go any further in the conversation. But it's all right to to uh, to have that happen to you. I've I've learned that it's okay to be embarrassed. Yes. I think. Yes. Um, I think again when it's uh, it's different when it's a child when you're talking to a child and um, you don't want to you don't want to force a child to publicly mourn if they don't want to uh, or give false confusing messages like grandma's sleeping now Uh, you you want you don't want to tell a child to stop crying because others might get upset, or try to uh, try to shield a child from the loss, because children pick right. up a whole lot more than adults realize, and including them in the grieving process will help them heal more quickly and adapt. I know uh, when when my mother-in-law passed away, our girls were quite small. Well, I was. I was pregnant with one with one and then the other one was quite small. And we didn't we didn't um we didn't take her to the funeral. We didn't you know, we didn't want her yeah. upset and things like that. And so the first time uh we were gonna go visit uh Mamma's grave and we but we took her then and she was real confused because we got out there and she's going, "Where's Mama? Where's Mama?" Yeah, you know, because she didn't. Yeah, wait, what are we she doing here? She missed the process, and I thought, well, I've really made a mistake uh, in not letting her be, because she wasn't she wasn't an infant or anything, but she was quite young. Um, you have a lot. You have a lot of wisdom to help people and. Um, if someone wanted to contact you because of their grieving, would that be all right with you if they emailed you or something? Oh, of course. Sure, they can email me and uh, and get in touch with me that way. Okay. You okay. you do bring up the you do bring up the illustration that you used, and I just want to add when it comes to kids, allow your child, however young, to attend the funeral if they want to or you know, the memorial service. For for my wife, we had a, a committal, a private committal, and then we had a memorial. And uh, we had the, gra- the great-grands as well as the grandchildren at present in all of that. And it did help them deal more effectively, I think, than uh, if we had shielded them. So yeah, so my mother died. A good when thing, I was and, and of course, of course, if there are people who want to be in touch with me, they certainly may feel free to do so. Yeah, my mother died when I was seven, and back then, they they didn't take children to funerals. You know, I, I mean, I know. well, we went to the, we went to the funeral itself, but we didn't we didn't see any of the other. We didn't see any of the other, and. Uh, when they they opened the casket and when i when i looked at the casket they had 
they had rolled her hair in sausage curls. And she never wore sausage curls. She she would you know she would have her hair in on, rolled up, and then she, it would be combed out. And I would look I looked at her and I said, Daddy, they didn't comb her hair, you know. <laughs> Which that's what it looked like to me as a little girl. That you know, the first funeral that I ever went to was one I conducted. I had never been to a funeral as a as a child, so you're say, what you're saying is true. Back in the day, children were often kept away from the uh, funeral process because they just didn't feel like we would understand. Yeah, and I guess we did. Well, not it, because it it does have some. I have vivid memory still of that that moment. You know. Um, I I had asked you for some questions, and one of these you sent I I found quite interesting. Have you done any literary pilgrimages? Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, well, I have done some literary pilgrimages, particularly for my novels. Um, mm-hmm. They've been set in different places. Um, the first couple of novels that I wrote were set in California and Boston and uh, um, Israel, uh, Jor- uh, Jordan and Iran. And um, then I did a, a novel called Pursuit that was set in California and Turkey. And the most recent novel, uh, Redeeming Grace, is was set in uh, Palm Springs and in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, and the Bay Area, so San Francisco Bay Area. So I've done the the pilgrimages to these places. I've gone before I wrote about them. There's only one of those places that I have not been able to go to, and I wrote about it. And then I was careful to ask everybody that I thought would re- that might understand. Did I? hit the mark or miss the mark, and that was the country of Iran. What I did in its place of not being able to be there, I found in the Bay Area when I was writing that particular book, I found a barber who was Iranian and who went to Iran every year to visit family. So he knew about modern Iran, and uh, I was able to spend the day with him and just talk about what life was like there and what it, and pick a spot in Iran that I could deal with, and that's how I wrote the book. Well, I I haven't been to every place that I've written about either, uh, but I do major major research and inter- interviews, like you said. Uh, I'm I'm very careful to be as authentic as I can with what I have, you know, to go. Because I like authenticity. I write a lot of historical novels. I write contemporary, too. The one I'm writing right now is contemporary. But I, I like authenticity, and so I work very hard to get it. My husband, who is, um, he hasn't been much of a reader. He he's read more in the last ten years than he ever did in fiction, because uh, I write fiction, and uh, he's he's become 
he he he's gotten hooked on uh, uh, Christian sus suspense novels like uh, the medical suspense that Dr. Mabry writes and, you know, different things like that. But uh, so he loves those. But I, well, I was, I, one day I was just, I said, I've got to find this information. I can't find this particular thing and I need to know. And he said, why? It's all a lie. <laughs> because it's fiction <laughs> to him. It's all a lie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my mother used I, I laugh and laughingly say that my mother used to. I write fiction, but my mother used to call it something else. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I understand the lie part. Yeah. So, who are your some of your favorite authors? Fiction, fiction or nonfiction? Uh, nonfiction. Well, either one. Uh, uh, well, okay, let's. Fiction, because I write inspirational thrillers. Oh, I'm sorry. Somebody's calling me. I just uncalled them. Um, because I write inspirational thrillers, I I read people like Baldacci. Uh, I'm, right, I'm reading right now The Sixth Day by Catherine Coulter, who's a writer that I have enjoyed, yeah. who writes um, um, FBI mysteries. Yeah. And so those would be some of the fiction people. There are others. Uh, nonfiction, I, uh, I enjoy Henri Nouwen, who is a Catholic, uh, or was a Catholic priest. Very... Uh, he, very insightful in his reading. I'm, I'm sorry, in his writing. And I find that some of the best uh, inspirational, spiritual, uh, deeper life kind of writers are the Catholic writers, especially those of a few years ago. So I, I. Uh, I have been a, f a follower of a number of the Catholic uh, uh, writers of days gone by, as well as as well as some of the ones that are more contemporary. I just I don't know. I just feel like they touch something in the soul, at least in my soul. Uh -huh. And so I I enjoy reading some of those. Uh, uh, particular people and some of the ancient or the older ones like you know, Teresa of Lisieux and some of those people um, if you they were they were different Thomas Merton um, again a very uh, different guy but if you've read Seven Story Mountain it's uh, a fascinating read on a guy's life that was started out as a journalist and wound up being a monk in uh, Kentucky. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Another question you had on here that I, I want to ask you because uh, I had, had to kind of laugh when I read it. How many unpublished or half-finished books do you have? Oh, I'll tell you, I've got uh, probably at least a dozen that have never seen the light of a publisher's uh, office. Some of them I'm yeah. glad I didn't 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they didn't get out of my office. But, um, you know, Redeeming Grace was interesting. I began writing it about 10 years before it was published. And I um, I started out with it. I had a different name, different kind of a different uh, motif. An agent picked up on it uh, from New York and then sent it back to me and said, no, he, he didn't think he could handle it. It was not in his genre. And oh. at the time, I didn't have it. And so I... Um, I just it was kind of scattered all over my my uh, computer desktop. And one day I said, you know, I just really like this story. I just don't want to give up on it. So I pulled all the pieces back together again and then I rewrote the book. It's the only novel I ever finished totally before I gave it to my agent and she gave it to a publisher. So it was it was done at that point, and it, then it was. I was grateful. It received uh, recognition from Jerry Jenkins from the Illuminations Award, and so it's kind of nice when somebody else thinks you've done good work. Or when you were when you were mentioning about the um, the places, the the settings, it's always. Um, I'm always grateful to have a reader write to me and say. For example, uh, Savannah, when I was reading about Savannah, I lived there for many years, and it was just right on point all the way through. And I thought that made me feel good. Yeah, I had, the detail I had of, one. And just, yeah, I had a historical I wrote uh, in Minnesota, uh, and I had someone about Minnesota. I visited there because that's where Daddy's family came from. And I got a letter from someone there who wrote and said, "It's it's it's just right." You see. <laughs> yeah, okay, they knew you'd been coming coming to an end. I'm sorry about that, but I wanted to uh, say I see you have do you view writing as a spiritual process. I assume that you do, just like I do. Uh, you see writing as a spiritual process, right? It is. It is a spiritual process. It's part of it's part of who you are in Christ. And uh I think that those of us who write, we we believe that God has gifted us and we try to craft and uh, and hone our skills and he's called us well, to do what we do. And so it is a spiritual uh, process every day as you approach thank, writing. Thank you so very much, Ward, for coming and, and visiting the Lena Nelson Dooley Show today. It's been my pleasure, and I look forward to one day meeting you face-to-face. I hope so. I hope we will. Blessings on you, Ward. Thank you, Lena. Mm-hmm.